Solar Orbiter will take the closest ever images of the Sun, observing the solar wind and the Sun's polar regions like never before, unravelling the mysteries of the solar cycle. On the 27th of November, after a year and eight months already in orbit, the mission will swing by home to drop off some extra energy. As it returns, it will encounter a problem unique to Earth. We are surrounded by hazardous space junk. This. Nie. Ato. Seven. Seis. Fünf. Cztery. Drei. Dwa. One. Welcome to ESA Explores Space Operations. I'm Rosa Jesse, and on today's podcast, we speak to Julia Schwartz and Klaus Merz about why Solar Orbiter is back and why this is ESA's riskiest ever flyby. First of all, Julia, can you explain what you do at ESA? Okay, so hello, my name is Julia, and I am the Flight Dynamics Manager of Solar Orbiter. So I coordinate and manage the flight dynamics work that we have to do for this mission. Can you give a rough idea of what flight dynamics is? Well, in flight dynamics, we uh, determine and predict the dynamics of the spacecraft. So where the spacecraft is in orbit and what it has to do in order to get to where we want it to go, but also how the the spacecraft is oriented in space. These are all the kind of things that we compute and produce commands for so that the spacecraft does what we want it to do. And Klaus, the same for you. What do you do at ESA? Yeah, welcome. I'm Klaus Merz from the Space Debris Office of ESA. So we are generally taking care of the debris research because uh, we don't get uh, telemetry sent down from from debris like we get from spacecraft. And telemetry is the data and signals from a spacecraft, right? Yes. So one one needs to measure where they are uh, in order to predict where they will be. We also don't know often their properties, their sizes. So all this has to be measured. There's a field of research to to model that, but there's also measurements needed and uh, observation systems. And if one has all that, one can build up a catalog of known debris objects and debris trajectories. And against those known objects and trajectories, we can assess collision risks. And if we consider risks too high, we need to maneuver to avoid such a collision. And this is where the Space Debris Office also supports our operations teams at ESOC. So we are involved in assessing the risk and planning maneuvers to avoid collisions. So Solar Orbit has already been zooming through space for almost two years and has already done a couple of flybys of Venus. Yet it's back home. Julia, why is this? Okay, so um, we want to observe the sun with a solar orbiter. And for that, we want to get very close to the sun. But to get close to the sun, Solar Orbiter has to get rid of a lot of its orbital energy that it has with respect to the sun. One way we could do that is that we could fire the thrusters on board of Solar Orbiter, roughly against against the direction in which it is currently going. But we have to get rid of so much of energy that the fuel that we have on board is just not enough. And even if the tanks were twice their size, we still couldn't get rid of enough orbital energy to get as close to the sun as we want to get. And for that reason, the people who designed Solar Orbiter's trajectory, they did something very clever. They designed the the trajectory such that it passes by very closely to the Earth. 
And the Earth, through its gravitational attraction to solar, to solar orbiter, will give it a little pull. It will accelerate it in just the right direction so that the Earth does for us what we cannot do with the thrusters. It will um, decrease its orbital energy, which will have the effect that roughly half a revolution later, we will then be very close to the sun and the scientists can start their observations. Yeah, this is a really tricky concept to grasp, actually, because on Earth, we're so used to talking about speed. But in space, it, it makes much more sense to talk about an object's orbital energy. Yeah. And the greater the energy, the larger its orbit around the sun. So to get closer to the sun, you have to lose energy or dump it at passing planets. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And I think what is often also confusing to people is um, it's correct that we have to slow down the spacecraft, but on Earth we're used to slowing down being something that is easily done, right? We just use friction all the time. We don't have to use any fuel to slow down. But in space, that's not true. In space, speeding up or slowing down is exactly the same thing. Both costs fuel, and you just fire the thrusters in opposite directions. And that's why it's very, it's very difficult to get close to the sun, because you actually have to use a lot of fuel to lose this orbital energy. Yeah, it's all very counterintuitive, I find, but <laughs> gradually, <laughs> gradually learning to understand it. <laughs> and Klaus, this flyby will be unlike any other that Solar Orbiter yeah. has performed or will do again, because Earth is unlike any other planet in the solar system. Why is this flyby risky? Yeah, I mean, we are launching spacecraft from Earth, no? <laughs> and we have been doing this since since decades, since Sputnik. No? And with these launches and the spacecraft we operated there, no? we have also generated debris, which is initially just upper stages, which are not needed anymore, but also satellites, which reached their end of useful operations and, and kind of died. No? So they are, they are there, but not useful anymore. And we have been doing this for some decades now. And some of them explode after a while they have uh, remaining fuel left no? so there's corrosion and uh, it can happen after many years after end of life that that spacecraft break up we call that fragmentation events no? and in in the in the history of of uh, space flight we had several hundred such breakup events and each of those they generate clouds of uh, smaller debris the the smaller the, the fragments we look at the larger is their their number no? typically we look at objects larger than 10 centimeters in size because these are the ones we can reasonably track regularly while for the smaller ones we have just statistics no? so for these larger ones we have something like uh, 30 to 40 thousand objects encircling earth no? But when we go when we go down to to one centimeter, that is still in the already in the order of of million, and going down to million millimeters, we are ending up in the in the area of hundreds of millions of fragments. No? So in, if if we collide with something of a ten centimeter size, no, we have to expect no, that it completely destroys our satellite and, and and even generates a new cloud of fragments. No? But also smaller size between one and ten centimeter objects, of, of which there are like one million, no? can destroy a satellite, no? still carrying enough energy, and uh, so you can it can generate a fragment cloud, and and even if it's maybe not so dramatic and doesn't generate a cloud, it can still make your spacecraft inoperable, so you would essentially lose the mission. No? 
so we need to we need to care we need to be worried uh, the smaller ones typically would not you wouldn't expect to to destroy your mission but you could still be very unlucky no? and uh, you may hit a cable or so no? uh, and uh, so even the smaller ones would would create damage no? but for solar orbiter because it will only be swinging by earth quite quickly how dangerous is it yeah i mean this is uh, one of those cases where you have a, a small risk but if it materializes you will have dramatic consequences no? so uh, we are uh, looking into it. We are taking care in operations, no? even though the risk is is quite small. Because, as you say, we are just uh, swinging by. So we we spend about two hours in the vicinity vicinity of the Earth, where there is a debris population, no? uh, but actually only um, ten minutes where we have a denser part, no? uh, very close to the Earth, where we had lots of Earth observation satellites and also most of those uh, breakup or fragmentation events. No? In this in this uh, regime, we just spent 10 minutes. No? So compared to missions we fly for years in those altitudes, of course, the risk is very low. No? Yeah, compared to historic flybys of Earth, we have been able to say that this is ESA's riskiest ever flyby, even though the risk is very small. Yes, indeed. So the, the number of debris in orbit has been growing continuously. So uh, if we have done an Earth flyby like a decade ago or or in the early days, and of course, there was way less debris in orbit. But there's another uh, effect, which is the, the how close we get to the Earth in, in those flybys. And this is different for every flyby. No? And so we had uh, the previous flyby like Baby Colombo, which, which was way higher. No? So it stayed above this dense debris region. Julia, when you're planning flybys and the route a mission will take, do you factor in the debris risk at that stage? Right. So I wasn't involved uh, at the time that the trajectory was planned, but it is as as you say. It is. I don't think it is. It is uh, taken into account. So you really you bring the spacecraft as close to the Earth or any other planet as you need it. And then later on, you can say, well, there is if there is a collision risk, then maybe we factor in a bit of extra fuel so that we can do a collision avoidance maneuver. But luckily, until now, at least, and I hope this stays like this in the future, even though there is space debris around Earth, it was never so much that we have to say, no, we cannot do an Earth flyby. You mentioned the mission will get very close to Earth, and I think we haven't said yet how close it will be, but it will get rather close to the orbit of the International Space Station. Right. It's very close. Um, I think it's still a bit above the International Space Station. So the International Space Station is roughly at 420 kilometers at the moment. But as you say, it's still extremely low, yes. Could you explain how what we call a collision avoidance maneuver is different for deep space missions that are passing by briefly and at high speed compared to debris dodging maneuvers for Earth observation missions that are stuck in Earth orbit that we perform pretty frequently. Yeah, okay. So when there's a satellite that orbits the Earth, something that you know very well about this satellite is its distance from the Earth. And the same holds for, let's say, it's a piece of debris that also orbits the Earth. After a while, after having taken many measurements, you know its distance from the Earth very well. So now imagine the two were on a collision course. Well, what you could do, you could take your spacecraft, do a maneuver that moves it just a little bit closer to or further away from the Earth. 
And because you know the distances of the satellite and the piece of debris so well, you only have to move out of the way by a small amount. And this doesn't cost much fuel. For solo on its interplanetary trajectory, this is a little bit different. For one, it's different because already we don't know Solo's distance with respect to the Earth as well as we know the distances of spacecraft that continuously orbit the Earth. That is one distance, one difference, sorry. So we would already have to move out of the way by a lot more than if both were orbiting the Earth. But the other problem we have is if we were to do that, if we were to let solo fly by the Earth a little bit closer or further away from the Earth as planned, then the trajectory afterwards would be very different from what we need it to be. So even though it still wouldn't cost much fuel to increase or decrease the distance of the flyback from the Earth, it would cost us a lot of fuel afterwards to correct the trajectory again so that it is what we need it to be. And therefore, it is unfortunately not an option for Solo to um, use the same strategy, so to make the flyby happen a bit closer to Earth or further away than planned in order to avoid debris or other active spacecraft. What we have to do instead, we have to make manu a maneuver such that the flyby happens a little bit later or earlier than planned. So that if there was to be a collision, you can imagine it as Solo arriving at this location where the collision would have taken place a little bit earlier or later than it was originally the case. Um, this also costs us fuel, um, and it costs us more fuel than it costs an Earth orbiting mission to change its distance from the Earth, but still by far not as much as if we were to do the same and let the flyby happen closer or further away from the Earth as planned. Interesting. So because the the distance between solar orbiter and the Earth is so important to its future position, you maneuver more in time than in space. Correct, yes, absolutely. So we talked a bit about debris and the history of spaceflight, and as you mentioned at the beginning, Klaus, it's explosions due to leftover fuel and, and propellant that's historically created the largest share of debris fragments. But next in line are deliberate breakups, and unfortunately there was such an event last week, we think creating about 1,500 debris pieces large enough to be seen from Earth, and of course a lot that are smaller. Klaus, will this increase the risk for Solar Orbiter as it flies by? Well, at, the, at its closest point to Earth, we will probably be in an area where in principle fragments of, of that recent event might get close to us. But we will treat them in the same way as any other debris, because we can avoid only the, the catalogued objects. No? So um, some or the early fragments will be catalogued already, so the bigger ones no? probably, because they are more easy to, to uh, track systematically. And against those, we would uh, follow the same procedure as we have established. No? Um, for, for those, I don't think we will have uh, a very large number. So the overall approach is, is very similar. and. Uh, I don't think we need to change anything in our approach, no? uh, but from a statistical point of view, it will have some effect. No? Yeah, so it increases the risk a little, but yeah, good to emphasize that the chance of any collision is still extremely low. Yes, yes. Yeah, it still holds that we're only 10 minutes in low Earth orbit. No? Yeah. 
and and probably even even less uh, where this fragmentation cloud is and so statistically we are still talking about very small risks so where will you both be for the flyby it's pretty early in the morning about 5 30 uh, on the 27th of november so at home mission control yeah, the, the thing is, we actually have to decide on the avoidance maneuver a bit before. I mean, the, the maneuver, if it would be needed, no, would take place around six hours before that close approach to the Earth. No? And we would have to decide a bit earlier, and Flight Dynamics and the whole control team needs to generate, uplink the commands and all the operations needed. No? So our actual work in terms of collision avoidance will be completed by the day of the flyby. No? And we can, I, I can just enjoy <laughs> Uh, uh, I will not be involved in the operations really after we have decided on the maneuver or not and which maneuver if needed. So it's not just a, a collision avoidance maneuver that will have already been commanded by that time if it has to take place, but actually all operations around the closest approach will have already been commanded. They're on board and some people may, may think that we, we sit there live and we interact with the spacecraft live, but this actually doesn't happen. We pre-prepare everything that happens with and on the spacecraft a long time before. So when the flyby is going on, um, I hope to be in bed. I want to be at home uh, sleeping. I did uh, look or I did um, investigate whether it's possible to see Solo Orbiter anywhere because it's my mission and I would have wanted to wave to it. But unfortunately, that will not be possible. So Solo Orbiter will be in, in eclipse at the time of closest approach, so there, it will not be illuminated by sunlight. So unfortunately, it will not be possible to observe it anywhere. Um, and therefore, I plan to be at home in bed. Yeah, I think that sounds like a very sensible idea. I may do the same. Um, thanks so much, both of you, for joining us. This has been really interesting. I think I finally understand orbital energy. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, I just hope it goes well. I mean, I think this is a great mission and I would, I would love for it to continue. And one has to always repeat the, the, the probability of a collision is extremely small. So I, I am not particularly worried. I just find it exciting and uh, it took some work to plan for it though. You know, you have to consider that this might happen. So we had to invest quite some work to, to plan for this contingency. But I think it'll all go well, and and Solar Orbiter will soon give us some uh, some great science return. Thank you very much for listening to ESA Explores Space Operations. Go to the website to find out more about any of the topics on today's program. That's www.esa.int, and follow ESA Operations, ESA Science, and ESA Solar Orbiter on Twitter to follow ESA's riskiest ever flyby.